Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Please rise for our opening hymn, number 617. Good morning. My name is Aaron Elliott, and I'm a member of Epworth. Today's verse comes from Luke 24, 13 through 35. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. 
the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to, the, to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this all took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And the, and the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as, he were going on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened, opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has, and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. to 
May the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. I am not a member of Epworth, nor have I ever been, and probably, unfortunately, I probably never will be, but I feel like I have been in the Epworth orbit for some time. As I walked into Pastor Kristen's office this morning, I say, I remember the first time I was in this office. It was Pastor Odette Lockwood Stewart's office. I was begging her to take me in as an intern, um, but she was already busy with Anna Bladel. And if you're going to lose out to somebody, it better be Anna Bladel, a good, good, dear friend of mine still to this day. And Odette was actually willing to take on both of us, but I, alas, had to move down the road to uh, uh, El Sobrante with, Gail, with uh, Gay, Bast- uh, Gay Benson, and that too was such a time. And I hope that you come tomorrow as uh, both Dale and Chan McStadden were mentors to me in my anti-racist journey as I was a student at Pacific and continued along in that journey. So. I hope that you come and learn there as I had been at the tutelage of their feet oh so 20 years ago. And so, your congregation has blessed me on my journey without even knowing it. This is one of the gifts of what it means to be a United Methodist, is the connectional system in which we are connected sometimes when we don't even know it. So here is also another little tidbit about me. As a preacher, I don't ask that you ponder things deep within your heart and walk away with them to ponder weeks upon weeks upon end. If I ask you a question, I expect a response. Okay? Okay. Got it. Okay. So... The walk to Emmaus always strikes me because it tells so many parts of the story. I find myself in so many places on there. Number one, I hate for my feet to be dirty, um, so that's where I first enter into the story. I hate to wake up early, and it was seven miles. So you, in order to complete the walk, because you're walking, you had to wake up early to begin the walk. And it was seven miles that was dangerous, so it was important to travel together. And if you're anything like me, you always want a travel buddy. Are you anything like me? Yeah. yeah. And uh, the important part about a travel buddy is for seven miles, when's the last time any of you have, I'm, you're Berkeley, so I'm just going to, please, when's the last time any of you honestly have walked seven miles continuously? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. But you probably had very nice sneakers on, right? And you probably got them fitted at some very fancy foot store that like looked at your gait and like you stepped on a machine and it told you which way you needed to buy your shoes. And this was not the case here, folks. These were like leather straps and, you know, slapped on your feet. And people were walking these seven miles together, partly out of safety because this road was so dangerous. And the cake in your feet were gross. And the way that you get around gross things is by talking to somebody next to you, right? 
And the only way that you can go seven miles of talking, you can only lightweight chit-chat for the first two miles. Mile three, you got to get to the real stuff. And by mile five, you're like at the heart of the matter. Seven miles in. I love the two that are walking because they are talking like two church ladies. First of all, they're using insider language with each other as if everybody knows How could you not know? It's the bake sale. It happens every year. They're so prepared in this sense of awe and wonder, yet at the same time, they've said everybody knows. It's all of what the whole area is talking about. They're also a little irritated as the stranger walks upon them. (sighs) Fine, come walk with us. You can talk with us for safety, but you know, also we're gonna fill you in on what we know. What do you know? Fill us in on your gossip too. Not that this church would ever gossip, but I've been to other churches (laughs) that sometimes have a propensity to share their news widely during prayers and concerns. The other part, that I think about in this story is, what does it mean to prepare for a journey? How do you prepare for a journey? You pack. Yes? Make a list, you plan. Check your passport. That's a very, that can cause a lot of problems if you don't. Tell friends and family. What else? Get somebody to take care of the home responsibilities. Yeah. I, I heard somebody mumble something, but I couldn't hear. I buy new clothes. I, I love the full disclosure. I buy new clothes. You want to know what, you know, that's important when you're preparing for a journey. Because depending on what season you're in, what you pack shifts. I, being a native Californian, always pack wrong when I'm traveling to, traveling to a colder climate. I always think I have the right stuff for where I'm going next. I never do, no matter how well I think I've packed. I think that I've prepared myself for what I need and to move into the next shift, but I've realized this is also the pattern in life, right? No matter how far you think you're prepared for what is next, you are not whether it be having children where you think you have checked the list, you are never prepared enough. Whether it be for them coming to the house or leaving the house or for a stage in which someone comes into your life, a loved one coming in or a loved one leaving, we are never prepared. A pastor coming or going It feels like it can never be the right time. In the UMC, we are in the unofficial season of appointment season, as well as the Easter season. I have three children, and when they were very little, um, I want to say, so there's three of them. They were like five, three, and one. And I heard one night as the girls were in the room, she said, Sister, do you know it's going to be Easter again tomorrow? And I thought, Oh my God, 
I got to get this under control. <laughs> she said, it's going to be 50 days of Easter. <laughs> and I said, yes, but, but all of the chocolate and all of the party and all of that happens one, one time. That's the one time in the 50 days. And she said, with a really sad, she was just a f- chunky baby. And she said, but we could love Jesus for the 50 days. Oh, yes, we can love Jesus all of the 50 days plus the rest of the year. But the bunny comes one time. That season that I thought was important to her, I was focused on the outward of what was taking place, but she knew it to be a deeper season that I expected a a three-year-old to know. As we are in the appointment season as United Methodists, it can have things that we prepare for. We prepare with forms and things that we know will be taking place, but there is the unofficial things that happen. There's an angst an uncomfortableness, a mourning, a grief, a pain, excitement, joy, anticipation, newness. All of that resides right here for the next however long as we live into this Easter season a time of death and a time of resurrection, a time of letting things go and allowing new things to take place. As I think about the road to Emmaus and what does it mean to walk this path together for these strangers that came alongside the road, Jesus walked alongside of them and not only knowing the story but being the story just said, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they said, somewhat with an edge in their voice, don't you know? And I think, what does it mean for our congregations to welcome pastors? We are the ordained elders with degrees who are supposed to know what it means to be a United Methodist. As we are ordained, the bishop lays their hands on our shoulders and says, take thou authority. But then we come into congregations and you all say, and this is what you should do. (laughs) But one of the gifts that I know that this congregation has is a legacy that it holds on to of what it means to be a United Methodist Church here in Berkeley. What are some examples of what it means to be Epworth here in Berkeley? Openness, welcoming, caring, caring, children, song, come as you are, fearless. I would say, in my experience, a commitment to welcoming students. a commitment to one another. You will teach your new pastor what it means to be UMC here in this place. 
We are all on our own individual faith journeys that intertwine and intersect and overlap, and our paths cross briefly, even if for a second, whether you're joining us on Zoom or in this place, because we have come together here, look around the room at each other. Really, look. Stop looking at me and look at each other. You are what makes this faith community. You have made this faith journey with each other. By just showing up, you make that real. You begin that seven-mile walk. As your pastor has said, I have the privilege of walking with some of our students at the University of Pacific. We are an interfaith university, and so we have 12 religious and spiritual organizations from our Sikh Association, our Muslim Student Association, InterVarsity, um, Newman House, which is our Catholic organization, um, and a, a wide variety of service-led organizations. And it's a gift to be able to see their commitment to who they are and who they want to be in the world. They come together over Faith with Tea in which they talk about what values they share and what differs. We had an interfaith Ash Wednesday and an alternative spring break where we went down to San Diego and were in service to folks who needed help. Faith life looks differently for these folks than it does for you all here on a Sunday morning. As you look around the pews, they're usually not here. If you looked at me and thought, she looks young, that is part of the problem. I am not. I have a teenager and I have a mortgage. I am not young. And if you think I am, that just means we're skewed in a particular direction that we need to correct. Our young people care about the exact same things that we proclaim to care about in our social principles. They care about neighbor. They care about environment. They care about respect for all people, justice and reconciliation. They care about the things that we hold as who we claim to be as the body of Christ as United Methodists. So why aren't they here? Why aren't they showing up? If they claim so loudly that they care about these things, are we living into our social principles in which we are inviting them into a life that allows them to lead in? Are we modeling the behavior in which we are walking that path with Jesus? Have we walked that seven miles? As Jesus walks beside us and says, hey, what are we talking about? Have we said, let us show you the story, how we understand it and how we've experienced it and how we've been changed by it? Sadly, I think we've missed it. Often, we've been concerned about points that are sideways or tangential and and only partly matter, and young people can sense everything that has to do with inauthenticity. They know when it's real, and it's what matters most. And one of the gifts that I think Epworth brings is that realness, an honesty and an integrity to the gospel and to the people who it serves. And so when we proclaim that authentically, and everywhere we go, we're able to be the body of Christ in those places. And as pastors come and go, the ministry of the people stays with the heart of the people. No offense, you matter, but not that much. <laughs> I say that pastor to pastor. 
And honestly, it takes a load off of our shoulders to know you can't mess it up that bad. Because the heart of the ministry is in the people. It's in you. As new pastors come, you say, here's who we are, and here's how we understand ministry. Here's where we've been, and here's where we want to go. Here's where we'd like you to lead us into. Come alongside with us. Walk along with us. And here's what we're willing to allow to die in order to give birth to something new. We are a resurrection people, but we have to allow things to die in order for them to be resurrected. A faith that believes in death and a new life has to believe in life beyond death, but we have to let those things die. You see, it wasn't the non-believers that crucified Jesus. It was the religious folks. They were unwilling to allow something to die for allow something to be made new. We have to live into allowing ourselves to be made new. But we're too afraid, honestly, to let go of what has been, what we have been proclaimed, what we have proclaimed and what we fell in love with, the something that meant something to us. But as we grow and move into mature disciples for Christ, what that means is is that we mature into other places in which our faith is filled in other places and in new ways, allowing new spaces for new people. Allowing those mountaintop experiences to be filled for people who need them in the easy ways. Because we're willing to walk that long, dangerous road, the seven miles. I'm reminded it was the women who showed up early that morning. It was the women who needed their testimony verified. And they said, oh yeah, indeed, he was not there. It was the women who knew first. But once everyone's eyes were opened, it all changed. They became a community of first century Christians who began to center themselves on eating just a simple meal together, reveling in in mystery of the ministry, and sharing all things in common. It's that simple. It transformed them, and it moved them into this uncomfortable space. Where does Epworth need its eyes opened, changed, and transformed? It's when he broke the bread, which we do regularly with one another, to say we are willing to be broken open for change, for Christ. We are willing to be made brand new. It's in this place, not just in this location, but in our hearts, in our minds, and in our bodies that we are willing to be transformed and to share all things with Christ and one another along the journey. Amen. Change my heart, oh God. Make it
You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.